Greetings again to those of you who are online this morning with us. It's good to be together in the ways that we're able to be together. Here in the sanctuary and on the church campus, we are continuing to adhere to uh, the guidelines and the recommendations of the CDC and the county health department, doing the best that we can to accommodate safely and lovingly as many people as possible and as many different perspectives and situations in these often changing times as possible. We're uh, probably hope that we could all be together safely in the same physical space. Uh, we understand that's not possible. Uh, we look forward today to the day when that is possible and healthy and good and safe for everyone. Uh, in case you have not heard, Pat Stevens passed away on Tuesday morning after a season of dementia. Pat was a longtime member of this congregation. We grieve with her husband, Dwayne, and their children and grandchildren, but at the same time, we give thanks to God for the firm and certain hope that we have in the resurrection to new life because of Jesus, in Jesus, and through Jesus. And so we grieve, but we grieve with great hope and confidence and gratitude to God. The flowers in the Geneva Hall today that you'll see after worship remind us of the beautiful life that God gifted in His grace to Pat, as well as the hope that we possess of a new life to come beyond these earthly bodies. Let's pray together. We're grateful, God, for a chance to be together, however we're together, united in Your Son, through whom You loved each one of us and the world. We thank you for the bonds of your spirit that tie us together. We ask as a family and as a community, as the body of Christ, that you would help us as we hear your word this morning. Give us eyes that are good to see, ears that are good to hear, hearts that are fertile soil to receive your word. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they be quickly forgotten. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. From an article published this week in a national magazine, these words. A month after the Biden administration pulled U.S. forces out of Afghanistan, one month later, only 17% of the, that country's more than 2,300 health clinics were functional. Only 17%. Doctors in the hospital in Kabul told me that they hadn't been paid since the Taliban seized power in August and that medicine is in short supply. The new government is struggling to feed the country's 39 million people. And the chance that an Afghan baby will go hungry and die is the highest in 20 years. Half of that country's population needs humanitarian assistance simply to survive double the number from 2020. More than 20 million people are on the brink of famine in Afghanistan. The United Nations Development Program projects that by the middle of this year, Afghanistan could face, quote, universal poverty. With 97% of Afghans living below the World Bank designated international poverty line of living on $1.90 per day. 
Differently, it's estimated that of the 7.75 billion people in the world today, 3.2 billion of those people live in unreached people groups with little or no access to the gospel or good news of Jesus Christ. According to the Joshua Project, there are approximately 17,000 unique people groups in the world with more than 7,000 of them considered quote, unreached, which is about 40% of the world's population. The vast majority of these people, 85% of the least reached groups, exist in what has been called by missiologists the 1040 window, going from Africa to the other side of Asia, from the 10-degree latitude north to the 40-degree latitude north line, the 1040 window. largely still unreached by missionary work, what we might call lost. According to the International Labor Organization, the ILO, in 2016, approximately 25 million people, many of them children, around the world were trapped in what are called forced labor situations. Five million of those people were being exploited sexually, and the vast majority of those people were women and girls. According to the ILO, the total commercial profit off of sex slavery was $100 billion. Most victims of these crimes find themselves in coercive and abusive situations from which escape is both difficult, if not impossible, and dangerous. According to the World Health Organization, 785 million people pushing a billion people, lack even basic clean drinking water service on a regular basis. At least two billion people in the world use a drinking water source that is contaminated regularly by feces. Yesterday, a drone strike in the Tigray region of Ethiopia killed 56 people and injured some 30 others, many of them Elderly, many of them children, all of them civilians who were already displaced from their homes and their communities as a result of the war that continues there. In the United States this past year, there were more than 100,000 deaths due to drug overdoses, just over 75% of which were opioids which people take, which people often use to treat the pain in their lives and the pain in their relationships, the pain in their hearts, the pain in their minds, the pain in their spirits. The number two cause of death among 15 to 19 year old girls in the United States, the number two cause of death is suicide. In the city of Oakland this past year, 133 people were murdered, mostly with guns, which is more murders than there have been in that city in 15 years. Some people say that racism is no longer an issue or a problem in the United States. We are beyond that, some say. However, the conviction and life sentences of three white men on Thursday in the Ahmad Aubrey trial might suggest otherwise. 
especially when one considers that one district attorney refused at first to even press charges. And then another district attorney in Georgia did the same thing, and it was only a third who considered bringing charges at all. Taken as a group, hate crimes increased by 13% in the United States in the year 2020. More specifically, anti-Asian hate crimes increased by 73% in one year in the United States. The American stock markets are near all-time highs, and yet we are, many are, financially broke, and many are spiritually broke. The number of people in the United States who identify themselves as nuns, not the Roman Catholic kind of nun, but the N-O-N-E-S, nuns, not affiliated in any way with any faith or religion or church or religious institution, continues to skyrocket. We are the least church generation in American history. And here we live among the least Christian and least churched regions in the United States. And then there's this from the Gospel of Mark and then the Gospel of Matthew, beginning at Mark chapter 6. Listen closely, this is the Word of God. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. And Jesus' disciples said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then Jesus commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, A blessing, and broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples, and said, Set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets of broken pieces of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men, plus women and children. Jesus sees a great crowd. A great crowd has followed him. Jesus is the leader. Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things, Mark wrote. And then Jesus made sure they were fed. He addressed their mental needs, their intellectual needs, their needs for knowledge, information, wisdom, guidance, truth. And he also addressed their physical needs. 
And now I want to jump over to Matthew's recounting of the same passage or part of the same passage. The Gospel of Mark was written before the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew uses Mark as one of his sources and tends to rearrange some of the items in his Gospel, and that's fine. Literary privilege. And now reading from the ninth chapter of Matthew's Gospel, this too is the Word of God. And Jesus went through, throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of God and healing every disease and every affliction. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers and two his harvest. In both accounts, Jesus faces a really large crowd with tons of people. And in both accounts, Jesus has compassion on the people. In Mark's account, Jesus was teacher and provider of food. In Matthew's account, Jesus heals every disease and every affliction. He addresses the crowd's physical needs in different ways or addresses them in a different set of physical needs. And then in Matthew's gospel, Jesus declares to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. In other words, there's a lot of work to be done here. We might say there's a lot of ministry to be done here, a lot of ministry potential, a lot of crop to harvest, a lot of fruit to be gathered. And who was to do all of that work and ministry and gathering? Jesus said to his disciples, you. And over in the Gospel of John in chapter 14, with his crucifixion awaiting just a day away, Jesus says to his disciples, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me or trusts in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater. The Greek word is mega. Even greater in number, and maybe even in quality, things than these, because I'm going to the Father. As, as Gladys shared in her message to the children earlier, Jesus says to his disciples, his students, his followers, his apprentices, you, plural, are the light of the world. He was the light. Of, now you are the light of the world. And the crazy thing is that Jesus entrusts a rather ragtag dozen of men, most of whom are simple fishermen. One's an IRS agent. A couple are insurrectionists. And then a couple of more. And Jesus entrusts to this dozen men the continuation of his work, his purposes, his mission. God's mission on earth and ever since then through thick and thin and through up and down in human history God has raised up another generation of men and women to lead other people in fulfilling God's purposes to be his instruments in God's hands for the ushering in of his kingdom or his reign or his rule or his reality his dominion on earth from heaven and on such the church has always depended. And on such, and in according to the grace of God and God's design, the world, the world depends today. Of course, the world doesn't think 
in these terms or in this way. The world doesn't think that the church and the gospel are its hope. Why would the church? Why would the world? Instead, the world has looked to industrialization, the United Nations, to the deterrence of nuclear weapons. If we build these nuclear weapons, everything will be okay. To science, to technology, to medicine, to the internet, to the smartphone, which turns out to be a wonderful device but have some problems of its own. To robots and artificial intelligence for hope, for a better world, for salvation. But where have all these things gotten us today? In a world where evil sometimes seems like it's more pervasive than ever before. Where hate and hunger seem to be everywhere we turn. In the words of Dallas Willard, the world can no longer be left to mere diplomats, politicians, and business leaders. They've done the best they could, no doubt, but this is an age for spiritual heroes, a time for men and women to be heroic in their faith and in spiritual character and power. The world can no longer be left to mere diplomats, politicians, and business leaders. They have done their best, no doubt, but this is an age for spiritual heroes, a time for men and women to be heroic in their faith and in spiritual character and power. I believe this is true, despite the lack of amens. I believe this is reality. In a world that on many days feels like it's going downhill and backwards and falling apart and where evil still has its way in many quarters, in many areas, in many contexts, cultures, countries, and despite the fact that so many and so much of the movement of life and power and love that came into existence in the wake of Jesus has become plaque-crusted, plaque-encrusted arteries and a hollow institution that cares more about its rights and traditions and the appearances and comforts and having things just the way we like them. Despite these facts, God has not abandoned the church. God's Spirit is not withdrawn from God's people. Jesus has not revoked His invitation to follow Him and love God with all all of one's heart, mind, soul, and strength, or one's neighbor as oneself. Jesus has not taken back his charge to walk in his steps, to rely on his Father to heal the sick and feed the hungry. As Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry in Luke's Gospel, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor or grace. The world can no longer be left to mere diplomats, politicians, and business leaders. They have done the best they can, no doubt. But this is an age for spiritual heroes. A time for men and women to operate in the spirit and the power of the Lord. And just as God has always done with people like Abraham, and Moses, and Deborah, and David, and Elisha, and Esther, and Nehemiah, and Elizabeth, and Mary... And Peter and Stephen and Paul and Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila. God continues to raise up leaders and shepherds for his people. God raised up men and women. He has and he will for heroic faith and in spiritual character and power. One of the most common biblical metaphors for leaders 
is shepherd. God entrusted leaders, God's entrusted leaders are charged with weighty responsibility of tending to and feeding the people of God as a shepherd would feed his flock. And the act of shepherding means more than simply feeding. Rather, this choice verb refers to all acts related to care, to compassion, to tending, to nurturing, to helping to grow. In the much later words of Jesus' disciple Peter, whom Jesus called the rock and on whom Jesus said he would build his church, Peter wrote, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you. He remembers the things Jesus has said, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. In the words of the Apostle Paul, encouraging church leaders on one of his missionary journeys, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or elders. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And what does that look like? The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Jesus. Follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. And what example is that? Jesus said in John's Gospel, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The church's leaders are called to lay down their lives for the sheep over whom God has set them. To live sacrificially. There is no other model. To give and to give up and to relinquish and to hand over. The church's leaders are called, according to the Scriptures, to love God with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. The church's leaders, its overseers, its elders, its shepherds, and others, are called to love their neighbors as they love themselves, to love one another. That's how the world will know who they are and whose they are. They're called to love strangers. They're called to wish well their enemies. They are called to be people of great faith, which means trusting God, going out on a limb, even living dangerously. They are called to be people of prayer, as Jesus prayed. They are called to get away to sometimes desolate places that they might give their full attention to God. They are called to be people of discernment. They are called to seek wisdom. They are called to be people who invest in and raise up a next generation, not just of followers, but also leaders. They are called to be people who live boldly and with courage, which is often lacking in the church 
and maybe also churches that need to adapt. They are called to live boldly. They are called to live with courage. I don't often uh, make movie recommendations because doing so can be kind of risky. But I want to recommend to you today a movie called Free Burma Rangers. Free Burma Rangers that we watched on Friday night. It's the story of a man named David Hubank who grew up in a missionary family. When he turned 18, he came back to the United States, enrolled in university on an ROTC scholarship. He said, I never really felt like I was called to be a missionary, but rather a soldier. And so he went through college in the ROTC program, graduated, joined the Army, lieutenant, second lieutenant, captain, and progressed upward. Became a ranger, an elite, airborne soldier, and served in the U.S. Army for 10 years, and then came to an inflection point in his life of both thinking maybe it's time to get out of the army and maybe it's time to marry this woman and maybe it's time to follow a call to the mission field that he had received very specifically through someone who knew his dad and knew that he had been both a missionary kid and a Green Beret. And so pretty quickly, he and his now wife headed off to Burma where he and her, she, took up a mission and a ministry of supporting not one side or the other, but caring for people caught in the crossfire of an incredibly dangerous war between the government of Burma and its ethnic minorities on the fringes of its country, who the government regularly slaughtered. And David and his wife and whoever would come along with them and whoever would give them resources and medicine learned how to be medics and to go into the most dangerous places to care not for soldiers so much as civilians, women, children, elderly, villagers who had had their homes burned down, who were on the run, who were being shot at and had mortars lobbed at them, who were being wounded and killed with no defenses at all. And the mission that God gave him was to go into the crossfire to care for and love the least of those in that place in the name and in the power of Jesus, which they did again and again and again and again at great risk to their own lives. They eventually raised, had three children there in Burma and took them along on their missions into the danger zone. Eventually more and more Burmese people and then others said, can we join you? Can we join you in what you're doing? A leader always has followers. To the point that Eventually, tens of thousands of people were impacted, healed, redeemed, came to Christ, and continued to through David Hubank and his family and the Free Burma Rangers 
which have now ministered to more than 1.5 million people, not just in Burma, but also being invited then into other countries like Iraq and Syria. 24 years later now, he continues to follow Jesus and care for the sheep that God has given him. Most of us will never go to Burma, and most of us will never go into a war zone. Most of us are not called to a ministry like that. But God has called us, and particularly our leaders, to be servants, to lead courageously, to take risks, to go into the danger zone, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to do so in the name and the power and the character of Jesus. The scriptures talk about a number of types of shepherds or servant leaders. Deacons in the sixth chapter of the book of Acts, and then later in different ways, uh, elders, overseers, and bishops. The deacons care for and take care of the poor and the marginalized so that the elders may be involved in the ministry of the gospel or the ministry of the Word of God and the gospel in that way. Both are called to lead. Both are called to serve. And to do so in the way of the good shepherd who laid down his life for his friends. May that be our story in this church. And may God's kingdom come through that. Let's pray together. Save us, God, from overly domesticated lives. Save us from our reluctance. Save us from our reticence. Save us from our fear. Save us from our desire solely for safety. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Save us from these things and save us to Yourself. Save us to Your kingdom. Save us for Your purposes. Have Your way with Your people. We thank You for those who have gone before us in faith and in courage and in love, who have given, who have let go, who have sacrificed, who have modeled for us the way of the Good Shepherd. Give them strength Give them courage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The band is here, but we have a little bit of business before we get to the band. This morning we have the joy and privilege of uh, having before us uh, people who have been called by our nominating committee, called by our congregation uh, to serve in the coming years as deacons and elders. And I want to invite those of you who are here to come up on the platform right now and stand across the front of it.
And I think we have Mia Fisher, who is ill today, with us by remote feed, possibly. Hi, Mia. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. She can hear us. Uh, Wave, since we can't see your faces, wave when I call your name. Paul Lindquist and Liz Yeager have been called to serve as elders on our board of elders called Our Session. Zara, Janice, Dina, Steve, and Greg back there have been called to serve on our board of deacons. We're grateful for each of you. You know the questions that we have for you, and I trust that you have uh, refamiliarized yourself with them and are prepared to answer accordingly. Liz is being ordained as an elder for the first time. Paul is returning as an elder. Dina is being ordained for the first time as a deacon. Greg, Steve, Janice, and Zara are returning as deacons in service. And Mia as well. Hi, Mia. (laughs) These questions are for all of you. And since we can't see your lips moving, give us some body motion when you... uh, Respond exuberantly. Do you trust in Jesus, your Savior? Acknowledge Him Lord of all and head of the church, and through Him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you accept the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be, by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ in the church universal and God's Word to you? Do you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the Reformed faith, in other words, the Presbyterian way, as expressed in the confessions of our church as authentic and reliable expositions of what Scripture leads us to believe and do, and will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of God? Do you and will you? Will you fulfill your office in obedience to Jesus under the authority of Scripture and be continually guided by our confessions? Will you? And will you be governed by the church's polity and will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them subject to the ordering of God's word and spirit? Will you? And do you promise to further the peace, the unity, and the purity of the church, do you? And will you seek to serve the people, this flock, with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? For Paul and Liz, will you be faithful elders watching over this congregation, providing for our worship, nurture, and service, And will you share in governing and discipline when needed, serving in governing bodies of the church when asked? And in your your ministry, will you seek to show the love and the justice of Jesus? Will you? And for the other six of you, will you be a faithful deacon teaching kindness, urging concern, and directing the people's help to the friendless and those in need And in your ministry, will you seek to show the love and the justice of Jesus, will you? Thanks be to God. I want to ask you, since normally in non-pandemic times, we would ask you to kneel and have all of the elders come forward and place their hands on your heads and pray for you in the historic way that God's people have always done. 
Uh, we're doing things a little bit differently because of the pandemic, and I'd love to ask you all in a socially distanced manner to stand down the center aisle that we might pray for you there. A question for you, members of the congregation, for you to stand, if you would. Do we, the members of this church, accept these eight as elders and deacons chosen by God through the voice of the congregation to lead us in the way of Jesus? Do you? And do you agree to encourage them to respect their decisions and to follow them as they guide us in the way of Jesus, who alone is the head of the church? Do you? All right, so without putting your hands on them, let me ask us all to put our hands toward them as together we pray. God, fill these men and women again with your spirit and with your power. Anoint them as you have called and ordained them. Cause them to love, give them the resources to love when they don't feel like it, when they do feel like it. Cause them to walk each step in the way of Jesus and to be blessed in growing in that as they serve and as they lead. Give to them hearts that are overflowing with mercy and kindness. Give them wisdom and discernment in the sometimes challenging decisions they will have to make. Make them one as you are one, and make us with them one as you are one. Bring glory to yourself through these, your humble servants. Take delight in their ministries. Have your way in them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.